Welcome to the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. I am your host, Jess Mayhew. I cover nightlife and spirits for Baltimore Magazine, and this podcast is an extension of that coverage. We talk about bars, drinks, and the people that bring them to you. So welcome to the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. I'm your host, Jess Mayhew, and my husband and I have been up since 6.30 in the morning this morning to travel to Milton, Delaware, and I can only think of one reason why a person would do that, and that is to come to Dogfish Head. So I'm here at Dogfish Head, and we are going to concentrate today on the distillery side of things. Um, and I'm here with Graham Hamlet, who's the head distiller, and James Montero, the distilling GM. So thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for visiting. Yeah, of course. Um, so I think Dogfish Head, for me and for most of the drinkers in the Delmarva region, um, was really maybe the first time I got to know a, a super-duper craft beer, and one that had a lot of culinary notes and used a lot of kind of funky and different flavors. Um Probably, you know, the 90-minute and 60-minute IPAs were one of those those first beers that I tried that I was like, wow, this is just packed with flavor, super hoppy, way different from, you know, the crappy beer I was drinking in college at the time. Um, so if you would just want to sort of talk about the, the philosophy behind the brewery and, and therefore the distillery a little bit and just give people a brief intro into what Dogfish Head's all about. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll start. So, so Dogfish was started in 1995 by Sam Calagione and his wife, Mariah. Um, they started in uh, Rehoboth at uh, the Brewings and Eats, and um, as the smartest, sorry, the smallest brewery in America, he was brewing basically 20 hours a day on a five-gallon brew kettle. And by starting in that um, in that location, he often he looked for inspiration for his beers from the kitchen, from the culinary world, in terms of the ingredients he's using, as well as exploring new processes. Um, so that was the humble beginnings, um, always trying to think about how um, he could, um, as to use Sam's words, kind of bend style guidelines and by doing off-centered ales. And so um, jumping ahead, actually not too far ahead, in 2002, um, as if Dogfish didn't have enough going on at the time, Sam and um, a brewer at the time started their first distillery. And so they... they uh, purchased some reclaimed farm equipment and um, fashioned a still on the second floor of Brewings and Eats, which they called Frankenstill because it was a pretty um, uh, <laughs> ugly looking piece of Sputnik uh, stainless steel that was previously, previous life was a, um, a grain silo for one of the chicken farms around here. Okay. But uh, that was the initial start and I think set the tone for what we're looking to do, what Graham and I are doing right now um, uh, with Sam and our uh, restaurant team as far as how, where do we look for inspiration and where we're looking to um, bring the spirits program. So it all started on the second floor of the brew pub in Rehoboth? That's correct. That's cool. Um, and Graham, sort of what's your background and how did you get involved um, in the distillery in the first place? Uh, I went to school way back when uh, for horticulture. Okay. So I came at it from a, a different avenue than most people, but uh, I started working at a winery, a vineyard, Got my foot in the door because of the horticulture. Started learning winemaking. And then eventually we started distilling some of our wine to brandy. Uh, and then fell in love with that. Started distilling on a larger scale. Started learning the process. Uh, vodka, gin, whiskey, rum, the whole bit. Um, and then fast forward about 15 years, this opportunity here at Dogfish popped up. And I'd be a fool not to jump on it. 
Yeah, so you kind of like tested everything out and got to know everything you could possibly make and figured yep. it on this. What about you, James? What was sort of your background coming here? Uh, my background is on the marketing and new product development side. I worked for a company that um, owned and, and sold and marketed um, some of the larger spirit brands uh, that you see out there, fantastic brands like Don Julio, uh, Bullet, and so on. So, um, but as a, uh, so I come from the more business side, um, but as a really strong Dogfish Head fan, always uh, seeing what was happening on in this place called Delaware, which a lot of people don't even really know where it is, but it is <laughs> a aware, true location, right? <laughs> uh, and um, really inspired by what they were doing. So was a consumer, but also studied the, uh, what Sam was up to down here. So it was uh, the whole opportunity came together pretty neat. And it's it's interesting. I know you said that um, there was a lot going on at Dogfish Head. You just started a distillery, but what was sort of the main motivation behind starting the dist distillery? And are you guys unique in that you have both a brewer and a distillery on the same campus? And how does that work? It was, uh, I think, back then, for, for Sam's perspective, was he wanted to do a rum. It's a beach community, so what goes better than right. rum drinks on the beach? Of course, yeah. So I think that was the sole inspiration for him to kind of dive into the spirits world down there back in 2002, and that was one of the first products that they uh, fermented, distilled, and bottled down there. Um, and that just paved the way for some of the other products for, for gin and some of these flavored vodkas that eventually made their way out. Um, and then that just kind of snowballed into uh, where it was on the second floor. You can imagine it was probably a, it was a small, <laughs> small area. Yeah. So, you know, what we could do and how much we could do were, was kind of limited down there. So it just made sense to kind of bring that production up here to be able to start putting stuff up in barrels, start really tapping into the resources that the brewery had as far as maintaining quality and consistency. So that was kind of the whole effect from start to finish of where we are now. Yeah, and I think what's really cool, um, we just took a tour of the brewery and the distillery, and you guys actually use grains from the brewery. You actually use the same beer wash from the brewery to make your products. Um, so, like, what a cool advantage you have to be just right next door and have that stuff being transferred over. Yep. So, from a production side, from a quality side, from access to ingredients, but also an inspiration. So we. Um, you know, we're sitting alongside the brewers who are who with Sam are constantly innovating new styles, using new ingredients, new processes, and so um, that's a huge part of the inspiration. What we're looking to do as well. So speaking of, we have this beautiful display of bottles and glasses in front of us. Do you guys want to um, start pouring some samples? Um, we have the compelling gin, which is the first one. Uh, maybe just talk a little bit about. You know, I know everything that you make is is based off of sort of the same thing, and then maybe talk about the flavors specifically that are in in the compelling gin. Well, if if I may, I'll just start yeah. why the gin, and then yeah, I'll let totally. Graham talk about what the gin, how we make the gin. So, um, we love our our gin, and I think it's a great one to start with because um, it starts with our analog vodka, and so um, one of the major one of the uh, most important aspects of our distilling program is making sure we're doing everything from scratch, um, using ingredients in their rawest form. And so gin, there's a misperception out there. Some people yeah. think it's made from juniper. And when, as you saw on the, on the tour, and why I like starting with it is, it's actually just a flavored vodka. We start with a beer, we distill that beer um, down here in Milton uh, into a vodka. Then we take that vodka and redistill it with botanicals and juniper to make our gins. 
And so compelling gin, I'll let Graham talk specifically about this one. Uh, so kind of kind of take a time back. When we started building this, uh, the distillery here in Milton, you know, the distillery down in Rehoboth was still functioning. And that's right. when I came on where I did a lot of the R&D to get some of the uh, head start, so to speak, on some of these products that we knew we were doing. Um, and we're on the second floor. We have the kitchen downstairs. So very much like how Sam got inspiration for some of these beer uh, flavors, I had the same thing. I went down to the kitchen and just started pulling spices. And I imagine this huge spice rack that you guys just all pull from, like whether that's metaphorical or yeah, literal. Yeah, you, you open it and it music plays. Yes. Exactly. So I just went down there and started playing around with different off-centered ingredients, so to speak. And, you know, it, that's the fun part about being a dogfish head. Like nothing is really ever off the table. Right. It, 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 ultimately turns into a cool flavor and a neat smell you, you can use it and this was one that was directly kind of influenced from the, the culinary side of stuff uh, you know it's got a lot of cinnamon you know juniper primarily but then it's got coriander seed angelica root a lot of citrus components on the nose it. it's so citrusy and, and bright and, and bright and that's yeah. what we we're shooting for and you know we have like kaffir lime leaves some hibiscus flowers cardamom little bit of black peppercorn and uh, I can't remember. Oh, wow. Could I always leave one out though. But you get the black peppercorn <laughs> a lot kind of in the undertone yeah. of, of the finish. But it's amazing how it smells so bright and then when you sip it you get more of the cinnamon and the spice. Yep. And then obviously the juniper's in there but it's not it's, it's not overpowering. Almost a cooling from the cinnamon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a great gin for uh, I my personal uh, favorite at the moment is Negroni, and so it adds a nice uh, as a nice base for that. And then we also like to serve it uh, in a Bloody Mary. So most people use vodkas, but and then they put lots of fruit on it. But this is a great flavor base to, to put all the tomato juice and whatnot. With that peppercorn that would make sense with the Bloody Mary. Yep. I had a white Negroni the other night um, that was just kind of a summer version of it. I think that would play really well with these. Ooh, a white Negroni. Yeah, it was really good. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so. I get, yeah, and you guys t talked a little bit about this, but have you ever had, if you want to like talk about just some examples of maybe light bulb moments of when, you know, you were thinking of flavors and you were like, this is really going to work super well, something that might be very atypical. Um, we could move on maybe to the melodious. I know you also have a honey roasted peanut bucket, which sounds crazy to me too. So yeah, if you want to talk about the melodious, that would be great. Well, it's funny. That was a true, good setup because that the next spirit <laughs> that we were going to taste was a true light bulb moment, which I'll let Graham talk about. Oh, cool. So to kind of go back to the compelling gin, at the same time, uh, we also wanted to kind of hold on to tradition from uh, brew pub days. Of, we had a, a gin that was made down there, spelled J-I-N, hmm. and that was one of the first spirits in America to utilize hops as a flavoring agent. So we wanted to kind of hold on to that tradition. So when I came on and started developing these gin recipes, uh, we developed two different gins, you know, the compelling gin, which is a lot more citrus, uh, bright, but we also wanted to do something with the hops right. and, uh, you know, that ends up being a little more herbal and savory, as you can imagine. Uh, and they're on very opposite ends of the gin spectrum, so to speak. Uh, and this aha moment was, well, we have these two gins. What happens if we put them together? <laughs> so we blended the two together and it just created a whole new flavor between the, the citrus and the hops all kind of melding together. 
And, and at the time, we had the two gins out, and we needed to kind of make this a little more distinct. So then we were like, well, what, what would happen if we put this combination into a, a used bourbon barrel? Oh. So we took that those two gins, blended them together, and put that into a bourbon barrel and let that sit for about a year. I thought I was going crazy because I smelled a little bourbon on the nose, but it yeah, so, got it. So you get a little bit of proof. color, mm -hmm. a little higher proof, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, just a, a slight kind of honey color, maybe. Um, yeah, just a nice golden hue to it. And you, you get a little bit of those bourbon notes, the honey from the barrel. And My husband likes this one. Danny likes it. He approves. He's saying right. off to the side. A little, he just did a little jig, maybe. <laughs> he did a little jig, a gin jig. Um, <laughs> um, no, this is, I mean, this is definitely obviously stronger and uh, probably more of a sipper yep. than the first yep. one, but... Yeah. It's really nice. You still get that, but I mean, you get the, the bourbon flavor on the nose, a little bit more of the citrus, a little lemon maybe, um, subtly, but it's it's really good. Yeah, so the it was November of 2015, and we were just introducing Compelling Gin and Whole Leaf, and that was our peanut butter and chocolate moment when it kind of we put yeah. them together and realized it's something pretty cool. And just to, to, to add to the, um, the process, so you can, we, we have very flavorful gins. You bring them together, it's like kryptonite in terms of flavor. So we knew it needed to take some, spend some time in a barrel. So the journey was, well, what do we, what type of barrel? And you could, I, I think there's a trend right now where people really react to dark colored liquid. The, yeah. the, the darker, richer looking, the probably more expensive and older it is, is a, is a perception. And so, but we, really important to us was letting it age in something that didn't over, Overmass the, the flavors, so we, so we chose a used bourbon barrel because while it doesn't add a lot of color, as you said, it's kind of a light honey color. Um, it allows the spirit to still kind of stand up, so so it is very strong, but still with time um, and the mellowing in the wood, it's kind of added subtle vanilla notes to it. Yeah, um, so and it, and it made it, like you said, it made it nice and mellow, so it's yeah. not like super sharp. So it's fun to say off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> Melodious. 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 I feel like you sort of need a British accent a little bit. <laughs> and like a pipe and a smoking jacket. Yeah, I don't know. Very sophisticated. Um, so obviously you guys, you know, you work with the brewery really closely. But what I thought was super cool about the tour is, you know, Dogfish Head is mammoth. The place is mammoth. What, what the brewery is doing is huge. But you guys are still doing batch distilling. You're still bottling by hand. It's a pretty small operation. And obviously that kind of stuff isn't the easy route, but it, you know, helps you control the quality. And I just think that's really cool because people are dogfish head and they might, you know, for this region, it really is, you know, the biggest player, but you guys in your little, in your little distilling laboratory, we're keeping it really real, as we sort of said. So talk about the philosophy behind batch distilling, why that's important to you guys. And uh, it, It's a real hands-on approach. Um, you know, distilling kind of in a broad spectrum it is, there is a, underlying kind of theme of chaos where a lot of things impact what your final spirit tastes like. Uh, so being able to manipulate the stills, I mean a lot of this process is based off boiling points where alcohol boils at a lower uh, temperature than water so right. you can kind of extract the alcohol that way and you know atmospheric pressure plays a part on boiling points. So ambient temperature has an effect on your flavor of your and how the still runs so being able to sit there and do it batch by batch and kind of uh, manipulate the stills based off of the kind of ancillary inputs that you don't have necessarily control over you can manipulate the stills to gain that control back and create yeah. a consistent product batch to batch 
So having a, a very batch approach and hands-on where, uh, you know, uh, I was saying earlier during the tour, we do the heads, hearts, and tails cuts. Right. And that's, you know, separating some of the undesirable alcohols from the desirable alcohols. And there's hints of when those cuts should take place between time, alcohol, and temperature, but it always comes down to what it smells and tastes like. So between that and having a trained uh, team on hand of recognizing the, the transition points from the heads to the hearts and the hearts to the tails, you can manipulate the flavor to create a, a, a more consistent product batch to batch to, to kind of exclude some of those other influences. Yeah, no, I think that's really, I think that's really admirable because like I said, it, you guys could be doing it on this much bigger scale. And um, I, I was actually surprised to see kind of how you know small it was and your team's small and everyone's really hands-on. So, um, so just, yeah. to, just to add to that, the, yeah. the crafts, so people are familiar with the term craft beer. Right. Um, and it's prevalent in pretty much any liquor store, or any uh, restaurant you go to. And um, it's about 11% of the total beer volume. The idea of craft spirits, spirits made from local batch distillation, is still relatively young. Dogfish is one of the first craft distillers, as I said, started in 2002. Uh, but people are starting to learn, starting to bring as much uh, interest in the process and the story behind their the things that go into the cocktails as they do their beer. Um, but not all craft distilleries are distilling in the same way. They, they, there are opportunities to cut certain corners in the process but really, really important to dogfish and important to Sam and the, and the, the path that we're laying forward is everything is starting and taught using the grain, grains uh, and the resources of our brewers, just like we've always done on our beer. Yeah, and obviously you have a really close relationship with the brewery, you're, you're collaborating all the time, you're getting ingredients, but the process of distilling versus brewing is very different and requires a lot more patience, um, especially when you're talking about making whiskey, which I know you guys have been aging for a while so maybe talk about that adjustment of sort of just it's more of a long game when you're when you're talking about distilling and, and aging spirits um whereas beer you can just kind of sometimes just get fresh off there you can be drinking it the very next day so how is how is that adjustment for you guys it's interesting because it certainly adds a, a layer of dynamic that you can't just produce like a beer and ferment it process it taste it and done with it right a lot of this stuff is you know you have to wait a few months at least to get an idea of how a product is going to age so a lot of this stuff it, it's a any R&D is a much lengthier process because for an aged spirit you know we'll, we'll monitor how some of this early whiskey we put into the barrels is aging and then from that we can get feedback finally to make adjustments for the next batch a little bit and really hone in that's uh, the, the overall flavor profile of that spirit so it's a a lot of patience involved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure some days are just like, oh, God. But yeah, right. I know your whiskey is getting close, right? We were talking about that. Yep. So when yep. are you thinking that you might, the whiskey might be ready and on the market? Or I, I know well, you're, guess, like, testing yeah, it out Yeah, right I guess um, to our restaurant, Chesapeake and Maine, which is in Rehoboth. It's the seafood-centric restaurant right next to Brewings and Eats. James Beard Award nominated. Yeah, James Beard. You have to say program. that every time yeah. you talk about it, right? Uh, <laughs> it, so it was nominated for Best Bar Program in the country, uh, something we're really stoked about because it's a, it's a reflection of the, some of the, the spirits as well as the um, creativity behind the bar. Um, but you can go down there right now and taste some of the whiskey that we have in R&D. Um, but we in we look at that as an opportunity to get feedback from guests, and we've been getting feedback, and 
we feel like we feel pretty good that we might have something available um, this Christmas out of uh, Dogfish uh, uh, Milton and Rehoboth locations with a whiskey. So, so That's we're, really exciting. we're leaning towards that. Now, what I will say, just to your question about the long lead times, is that whiskey yeah. is not the only thing that we're doing. Obviously, we've got the gins we talked about, the vodka we talked about, but some of the ways that uh, we see ourselves not as Dogfish Head, the whiskey company or the gin company, but rather, um, you know, how can we do spirits and cocktails that can transform people's spirits and cocktailing experiences? Right. And so, spirits that are 80 proof, um, not. Uh, 98 proof like the melodious gin is one way and then doing bottle cocktails is another way that um, and so that's a result of a collaborative effort and a great lead into yes. the um, to the next spirit that I wanted to share with this you. This has a really awesome label. It looks straight out of the 1920s. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna throw a bunch of ice into these glasses. Okay. Uh, let me do that grand wall. So uh, our Sam's the, the innovative spirit is, comes from Brewings and Eats. It comes from the brew pub. It's influenced by the kitchen on our beer side. On the spirit side, it all starts from behind the bar at Chesapeake, Maine. And so um, we uh, have a history of doing interesting, on the beer side, collaborations. And so we sat down with the folks over at Sony Legacy uh, earlier this year. And they, are, they just introduced earlier this summer uh, uh, multi-part documentary on music during the 1920s. Awesome. Um, it's called American Epic. It's a, 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 it's, it was released on PBS. And that period, so the, sh the show chronicles uh, the story of how um, the radio was introduced in the early 20s and how record executives, as a result, needed to go out into the, into the hinterlands of the U.S., and try to find the next big act. And so they went out and started recording sounds that never were recorded. Gospel singers, Cajun singers, blues singers, and all that stuff. And so all that music kind of melded together to be the, the true quintessential American sound. And so we use that idea of the blending of music and the idea of this period of the 20s during Prohibition to inspire this cocktail, which we call Sonic Archaeology, which is a uh, blend of many different... So, so we... We, there are a lot of people familiar with the name Prohibition Cocktail, and, you know, Negroni, Sasserac, there's some popular ones out there, but we stretched a little bit deeper into the, into the stranger places of what they were drinking back then, and there was a drink that was a blend of a few different spirits. Um, they actually would blend it uh, 12 miles off the coast in the international waters, so it was a legal spot to do it. So <laughs> we make multiple spirits. We make brandy. We make rum, we make whiskey, and so this sonic archaeology is a blend of those three spirits with pomegranate and lemon, um, made to be a uh, tart and mildly boozy, but also very refreshing summer cocktail. So all you do, the way we're serving it here is glass of, at home, my house, it's a big glass of uh, wine, or a wine glass, big yeah. scoop of ice, and you just pour this over that. Your glass is slightly bigger than this one at home? Yeah, I drink with uh, more than four-ounce glasses at home. There's a, a nice, what is that, honey on the nose? Uh, yep, it's really, a little bit of honey from mm. our barrel honey rum that we blend with it. But it's it's very different. It doesn't taste like any sort of prohibition cocktail that you've tried. It's not an old-fashioned. It's yep. not a Negroni, necessarily. It's not a Sazerac. But it has hints of all of those a little bit, which is, which is really cool. It's um, a... 50% uh, alcohol, so it's mid-proof. 
Um, so you don't need to add water, or you could add a little soda water if you want to. I don't think it needs water. anything. I agree. Just the, on the on the yeah. rocks is great. Fifty percent. Fifty percent. Fifty proof. Sorry, fifty proof. Fifty proof. Um, and so, is this available only like here and at the restaurants, or can people? Is there another way for people to get it? Say, if you live in Maryland. So, yep. So um, we've been selling it this summer just out of um, our Dogfish Mill location. There's some spirits that we make that we sell into the market with our distribution partners, and you'll find those at liquor stores and bars. And some we produce just in very small batches that we have only can really sell through our. Milton Brewery Distillery or the Rehoboth um, locations. Um, this is one that was per, was intentionally uh, put together for just our own outlets. But the response has been so uh, exciting. It's yeah. been super exciting because it's very different and very easy uh, on the lips. Yeah. And so what we are actually doing is we're going to be sending some into Maryland, um, available in the September time frame. Oh, great. Um, so ask your local liquor store. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, I, I totally will. It reminds me, do you know New York Distilling? They have like yeah, a rock sure. and rye cocktail. Yeah, rock and it reminds me of that, um, which is, I love that. So very, very good. Yeah, super citrusy, really easy drinking. I feel like... A little tart, it kind of, it melted. You got it. We, we love it over ice because it's purposely put together to kind of, with the ice to cool it down and mellow it out a little bit. Yeah, but I like the tartness. Like as a sour yep. beer fan, like this yep. is right up my alley. Oh man, okay. I'm gonna be obsessed with this now, so it thanks also, guys. It also works well as a mixer. I, I personally, mm -hmm. as well as it goes over ice, I take a little bit of our compelling gin, put a little bit of splash of the uh, Sonic on top of it, top it up with a little soda water. It's Oh, that sounds really it, good. It's not just limited to... A little orange little, slice maybe, yeah. and yeah. Is the process of making a bottle cocktail uh, very different from doing just a spirit, or how, to, how, does, how do they differ? It is quite a bit different because we're using, you know, natural juices, so that adds a, a little bit layer of complexity as far as trying to keep everything fresh. You know, we're using fresh ingredients, so uh, we're like a gin, once it's in a bottle, it's fairly, you know, shelf-stable for a long time, but right. with, with things like this, you, you, you want to get it processed and into a bottle, kind of much like more of a, a beer approach to it, so okay. you want to keep it fresh, you want to bottle it. And, you don't want to, you know, have a sip of it and then forget about it on your on your liquor shelf for right. years. And be like, oh yeah, it's one of those ones we kind of intend people to want to keep it fresh and those flavors bright. So it's it, it's a good it, thing it, to bring it, to a party then if you want to exactly. drink it quickly, right? Yeah. Um, and so going a little bit back to the restaurants, I think you guys have this really unique advantage in that you have the brewery as a resource, and then you also have these restaurants where I think it's really cool that you get real time feedback from your customers. But also, I know, Graham, that you work with, is it Rob at Chesapeake in Maine? Yep. Um, who's the mixologist there. And how cool to have a direct relationship with the bartender who can say, you can say, this is what I'm working on, this is what cocktails would be great in, or vice versa. Um, so talk about that relationship and, and how that kind of works. Oh, yeah, that's great. I mean, it, it's an honor to work with uh, such a talent. He is a, a genius when it comes to mixology. So it's a... I always joke that he makes us look good here in the distillery because he can take anything and make it taste uh, delicious. Uh, but it's great because, yeah, we get feedback directly from the, the people that he's serving at the bar across all of our spirits. And we can actually take that feedback and, and process it in a way. And if we feel it's time to make an adjustment or, or, or things like that, we can uh, work directly with him and get that uh, kind of direction. But then things like the Sonic Archaeology, that was a very close 
uh, project that we all worked on with him, coming up with the flavor to profile, and you know, it, it is loosely based off of a prohibition style uh, cocktail, but we had to put our own twist on it. So right. he understands the mixology side of stuff a lot better than I than right. I do. So having that input to try and find that perfect balance of sweet and tart and booze and and uh, that whole process that it's uh, really great to work with them. Yeah, and it's it's got to be like so interesting at the end of the day. And do you have like a favorite cocktail that he's made with one of your spirits over the years? That's probably asking like oh, a big question. How about one of your favorite? I don't have to assign. Oh man, that's a tough one. <laughs> every time I go down there, I'm impressed with what's going yeah. on. Or do you remember maybe the first time you had one of his cocktails from something you made and you were just like is why I make these spirits, you know? Like, this is, like... Sorry to put you on the spot. You know, the, the salt and pepper cup that comes down, yep. that's made down there. That's made with whole leaf gin. Yeah. Um, a very a popular one down there is made with our white rum called Where's Barb. Have you ever seen I you? was Barb for Halloween. You were Barb. Uh, yes. I bought my wife, whose name is Barb, an awesome t shirt. I'll send oh you to Oh my god, like, yeah. And I'll show you the picture of me. Okay, good. Teamwork. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, Where's Barb is made with our rum and rhubarb. Oh, so that, that's, that's so the barb. Good. That's the barb. That's it's so not clever. made with any real barb. Well, let's hope so. RIP Barb. Um, <laughs> but there, so the, the, I think the, you know, one way competitive management, the thing that's fun about uh, what we're doing in distilling is we have the opportunity, like Sam had with Brewing's and Eats, we have the opportunity with our restaurant Chesapeake and Maine to figure out how can we make spirits better so that they in, so they make better cocktails. That's one way. Um, how can we work with a team and, a, and an area where you can test drinks before we put them in bottle, like Sonic Archaeology? Um, when we have spirits and have products and our sales guys are talking to restaurants and talking to liquor stores and talking to consumers. How can we bring forward recipes that are that we we've, that are easy to make that you know in, in the circumstances of restaurants that are profitable for them to sell? Right. Like so, it's a it's a resource that we lean into. Once you know, we're we're meeting with them pretty much once a week, figuring out how we can um, influence the whole process of what they're doing. But how, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. That's the cool part. How far are you from Rehoboth? Not that far, right? Uh, Twenty. Three and a half minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're like to the exact on a summer Friday, a little longer. Right, right, exactly. Peak season must must be a little bit more. Um, so, if you want to talk a little bit about sort of the future of Dr. Shed Distilling, like where you see it going, maybe we could pour the last um, bottle cocktail while we talk about it. I don't yeah, know sure. if this maybe represents a direction yep, yep. that you want to be going in. I'm or... going to show you a cool trick. What it's, yeah. so we, we introduced cans last year at Dogfish, not on our spirits, but on our beer. But yeah. this is now my new paper sink. Oh, he's opening the bottle with the can, guys. With the top rim of the can. That's amazing. Well, back to the maybe a couple of high scoops for this one. Um, so, <clears throat> circling back before we answer that question, yeah. back to the restaurant. So, get so the one of the reasons why Chesapeake and Maine was nominated best bar program by James Beard. Did we mention that yet? Uh, I know we might, might have been nominated by uh, what James Beard. But uh, it's because they're trying new things, and they're and um, the world of mixology can be sort of stuffy. Yes. If you if you think about if you try to paint the perfect. Uh, type of account but we like to have fun so one way we have fun is um, uh, we serve cocktails that are, that are batched in ke- or pre-batched mm-hmm. in kegs so we use beer kegs 
that we put, so we make a Moscow mule there, but we call it the milk mule. And it's not with ginger beer and our vodka, but rather um, we take ginger juice, we take lemon juice, lime juice, uh, simple syrup, our vodka, we put it to the keg two days earlier, and we carbonate it, and we make a ginger beer from scratch with our vodka. So oh, cool. the, it's super easy, and no, it doesn't need to be built right in front of you, but it's made with all those ingredients. And our belief is like a bottle-conditioned beer where you put all the components to the beer and it finishes in that. Our belief is that there's a finishing that happens as the cocktail can spend some time. And that's not a new right. uh, I mean, people that's, that's happening out there, but, but we get really excited by it. So this actual drink right here is the actual same recipe that we were served, that we used to get down at the restaurant. Um, we're just, we just scale it up, we, we batch it in. Every Thursday, we Thursday or Friday, we batch it every week, small quantity, and we release it in our shop on Fridays, and it's usually sold out by uh, Monday or Tuesday, and there's some folks that are regulars that come here and grab it every time, and it's made with all real ingredients and no preservatives, so we write a big number on the side of the bottle, drink within 10 days, because keep right. it cold and drink it within 10 days. And, um, no, I believe it. It smells, I mean, all the flavors are super melted together. Like, you can tell they were blended. Like, it's, it's basically a vodka-based ginger beer mm-hmm. at this point. Um, it tastes super, even on the nose, the ginger's super fresh. There's nothing that tastes artificial about it. I love the sharpness of ginger, and sometimes you miss that from some other places that might not do it so fresh within 10 days, like you said. Um, and, it, yeah, it tastes really well blended. Like, it's not a, it doesn't taste like a bunch of things put together. It tastes like one one big thing, right? Really refreshing. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is great. Um, and you can take that bottle home. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, what else is going to happen with it? We have to drink it, right? We are going to the beach. We're heading to Ocean City oh, nice. after this. Yeah. Um, so just if you guys want to talk a little bit about sort of where you see yourselves in the future and what's what's next. Obviously, I know the whiskey is a big, a big next step for you guys to release that. Um, but maybe down the line even further than that well we're just um are we're in a pretty small footprint of delaware maryland dc virginia um and so dogfish i believe at the moment is in maybe 42 states um uh, believe it or not it's a national it is has a, it's a has a national recognition but it's not really in every state yet um our goal eventually is to fill out the same footprint um but being a part of a company like Dogfish and, a, and a, a mindset of like Sam's, we're not rushing. We don't we don't need to rush out, and so we'll let um, we'll let the market tell us when we're ready to, to go to the next market. Um, that's one thing. Um, in terms of the portfolio, we've uh, right now in Maryland, you can only get um, if you go to the liquor store our analog vodka, our compelling gin, or our holy gin. Uh, but we, for the last 16 months, have been distilling a variety of different spirits, uh, an aged rum, this uh, barrel-aged gin, uh, sonic archaeology. And so next year, uh, starting next year, we've, we've used that past 16 months to make sure, like, validate the spirits that we're putting in bottles with the guests, see the reaction. So we're going to be bringing more of them into the marketplace. So as I mentioned, we're bringing sonic archaeology this September, and um, you'll see more from Dogfish in markets that we're in um super cool continue to you know as use sam's words bend expectations or bend guides the style guidelines of what you expect in a vodka and a gin and 
cocktails. So. Yeah. And in the meantime, Graham, if people want to come here um, to Milton and do tours and tastings, um, what's sort of the information on that? Like, what days of the week do you do it? Do you have to make an appointment? Uh, we do uh, tours on the weekend at the distillery. Uh, you get the brewery tour here, but then you can sign up for uh, special VIP tours, and you get a little more in-depth look of the, the spirit side of stuff on those. Uh, we do have a tasting bar, um, separate from the, the beer tasting bar, so uh, you got to look for it right now, but if you walk into the shop, we have a, a, a cool little nook in the back that you can taste all of our spirits and uh, try all the, the crazy flavors that we have. Um, so it's all there, and we can grab a bottle of Milton Mule to go. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, just, to, just to add to that, so, so the free tours happen every day. Um, of the brewery and you get to see a snippet of the distillery there's a tour if you go to our website there's something called grain to glass which is a more in-depth where you get to experience parts of the brewery that the free tour doesn't get you get to taste beers and a few crazy little locations within the brewery and the distillery and taste cocktail so that's a pretty cool thing we do you can sign up on ticket leave or through our website on ticket leave for that on the weekends uh, the one other thing is that we're we once a year we do something called the Spirited Weekend. It's not a religious retreat, which is what you <laughs> might be thinking, but it's uh, it's a weekend where um, guests can come down, stay at our inn, uh, do a happy hour on Friday night. On Saturday, you get a full in-depth tour with uh, Graham, and uh, we do some uh, something, taste some, a few special things in the distillery. Uh, we do a um, uh, mixology class down in Chesapeake, Maine, and you get uh, a dinner there, and again, you spend the second night. It's a pretty awesome yeah. program, and, and we're going to start promoting it or talking about it probably in the next month or so. You can okay. see, you'll see details on the website, and the weekend is going to be the second weekend in January, so okay. it's a perfect holiday gift. Yeah, no, that's awesome. January, it's like there's nothing to do anyway, Giddy up. so you might as Come well. Come down here. <laughs> yeah, get yeah, your booze on. That sounds like a really, really yeah. fun weekend. Spirited weekend, yeah. Yeah, I especially like the idea of the mixology class and the dinner yeah. and, and just kind of tying everything together at Dr. Shabby's. We're do also, I? yeah, oh my goodness, I should remember these dates. We have two dates. We have um, one in October, we'll be doing a spirit dinner, spirit focused dinner on gin and seafood. Um, I'm going to say it's Saturday, October 21st, but that's the day. And then um, we'll... And that's at Chesapeake and Maine? That's at Chesapeake and Maine. Okay. We'll be talking, it'll, the, rep, the menu will be focused on seafood and our gins. And then there will be a whiskey focused one in uh, December. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds really fun. Well, now there's no excuse. There's so many things that people can do to experience Dr. Shed, whether it's local liquor stores in Maryland or coming to Milton or doing these fun events. Um, and it was really cool to see sort of a different but very dogfish head, you know, side of this place. I'd only ever been to the brewery and um, but getting to know the spirits and getting to know you guys was really fun today. So I really awesome. appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, Thank you guys so much. You. Cheers. Cheers. Danny, Cheers. get in on this. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Um, if you guys want to find Dogfish Head distillery or brewery products but don't want to make the trek out to Delaware, it's super easy. Uh, there's a bunch of bars and restaurants and liquor stores in Baltimore where you can find it. So check out Parts and Labor, Fork and Wrench, Bar Licorice, and Modern Cookshop. Or you can go to your local liquor store like Wine Source, 
Wells, the Liquor Pump, and Can Crossing Wine and Spirits. If you still want to find out more information, you can visit dogfishhead.com slash brewery slash fish finder. Thanks so much, guys. Cheers.